uh, a healthy skepticism helps you to dig a little deeper into how things work. Uh, that's the scientific approach, is uh, being able to, you know, look at an idea and, and not only, you know, ask yourself, does it make sense? Is it logical? Is it rational? But also, does it feel right? You know, scientists will tell you that when they're when they're trying to come up with a new discovery, they're uh, trying to make breakthroughs. Oftentimes, it is those total abstract experiences that, that take them to the right place. You know, when it has the the right feel to an idea, even a mathematical principle, uh, these are things that uh, have this intuitive sense of of wonder and rightness about them. And wonder is. Again, another spiritual experience. You know, when we are in wonder, uh, it takes us to another place in, in our consciousness. And that is a foretaste of this episode of the Planetary Makeover Show. In response to the heartfelt voices of an awakening humanity, we have evidence that divine help is at hand to work with us to create a hopeful future. Hello, I'm your host, David Minot II, and this episode is a double bill. We have two guests, Scott Champion and Mitch Williams, who will each shine a light from their own diverse viewpoints on the interconnectedness of all the world's religions, particularly with Jesus and Maitreya. So, Scott, we know that you have studied the Aegis Wisdom teaching for decades. So could you tell us now about the great brotherhood of divine masters who are responsible for the world's religions and why this is so important at this time of worldwide crises. All the religions really were given to a particular group of people, to a certain culture at a certain period of time, to advance that particular culture at that time. All of it came from the spiritual hierarchy of masters. And unfortunately, we end up with this, uh, particularly with this idealism of this past age, we end up with a lot of competition between the religions. Uh, instead of them being just a one note in a marvelous symphony, they all became the symphony itself for their followers. So this will get a right understanding and a right relationship between the different religions. They had a purpose, they were given, and my understanding is they basically succeeded in those purposes. You know, the, the planet, this hierarchy of masters, every age has a world teacher. At this time, that's Maitreya, the Lord Maitreya. We know Maitreya's appearances in the past as he overshadowed the disciple Jesus and he overshadowed Krishna. Now, this, of course, will be anathema to Christians, but Master Jesus himself is one of the masters of the spiritual hierarchy. He will come step forward. He is in charge of the Christian churches, all the different sects. His great task is to rid them of their man-made dogmas and doctrines and return them to the very simple teachings based on love that the Christ gave through him. 2,000 years ago. And this is a process that you is called mental overshadowing. This is, this is always the, 
appearance of a world teacher in times past. We think of Jesus, we think of the Buddha, we think of Krishna, we think of Rama. This was always um, a world teacher at that time, a very senior member of the spiritual hierarchy of masters, whose consciousness would overshadow a very, very advanced disciple who was already divine themselves, like Jesus was already divine. Um, um, and when uh, Maitreya overshadowed Krishna, Krishna was extremely advanced. When the Buddha overshadowed the Prince Gautama, same thing. So a, a higher consciousness overshadowing a somewhat lesser consciousness to give the teachings. And so that person, Jesus Christ, was the Christ consciousness working through the person of Jesus. Prince Gautama, who became the Buddha, the consciousness of the Buddha working through the Prince Gautama, he became what we call, excuse me, Gautama Buddha. Sri Krishna, overshadowed by Maitreya, became the world teacher for that age. Now, we all each recognize them individually, not understanding this mental overshadowing that happened. And that's true of Hercules from Rama, Sankaracharya, Mithra, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad. It was the master Jesus um, after he became a perfected master who overshadowed the prophet Muhammad. And those teachings were largely given through by the master Jesus. And of course, there's a great competition between these religions, two religions in the world, and they very much have the same source. But the world has advanced a great deal since Muhammad and since Jesus. You know, we have this tremendous scientific and technological leap forward. None of those teachings were able to reach more than a few hundred people at the time that they were alive. Today, a world teacher can address the entire planet because of the technology that exists in the world. So these teachings will, they will not be undermined like they were in the past. They will, human beings will not be interpreting for us that what's true and what's not true. They won't be changed because of uh, translations that come later. We'll know what was said. It will be recorded. This is going to be a great leap forward for humanity. We'll, we'll know what the highest consciousnesses on this planet uh, said. Now, there was a time, Maitreya, he's the world teacher today. World teacher means he's the, he's the most advanced consciousness, most advanced human being from the human family at that time. There was a time Maitreya had his own master who was above him. And that's simply the way of things. We, we evolve. Uh, eventually, we reach this point of perfection where we become a master. And from there, it goes higher and higher and higher. But everyone goes through this process. We're all evolving. And how quickly we want to evolve or how slowly we want to evolve, it's really up to us. They are our elder brothers. They've gone this path before us. And they've achieved perfection, relative perfection, from their point of view. but we'll be consulting with them because we'll go to them. We'll say, well, what about this? What about this? So that we can take their advice, you know, and they're not going to go away. Every time a spiritual teacher has come in the past, Muhammad and Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Rama, all, all the way back, um, they've lived for a short time and their teachings eventually became distorted. This time the masters are going to stay in the world. There's nothing that's going to be distorted. They're going to be with us for this whole age, over 2,000 years coming up. Scott, you've set the stage perfectly for our next segment. Now, Celito Pasquale interviews Mitch Williams, a magician, performer, and author, 
who will share his spiritual experience, a journey upon which so many Christians have embarked now, from his fundamentalist Christian upbringing leading to his journey into a discovery of the ageless wisdom teaching. My name is Cielito Pasquale. I'm podcasting from Seattle. Talk to people from many different backgrounds about an extraordinary story. And that story is the emergence of Maitreya, the world teacher, and the masters of wisdom. Now, if you're hearing about this for the first time, that may sound like a a lot to get your mind around, but in all likelihood, if you're listening, it's because you already sense that uh, such an event is taking place. Because indeed, uh, at the soul level, um, all of humanity is aware that an extraordinary event is taking place. So on our show today, I want to welcome Mitch Williams. He's an author and performer. And uh, today he'll connect his Christian fundamentalist upbringing and his exploration of other religious perspectives to his conviction that humanity is being assisted in transformation by Maitreya, the world teacher and the masters of wisdom. And um, we, give, we do this show with the newcomer in mind. And uh, so stay with us. We're going to unpack this story and um, with, with the intention of sharing a message of hope. Welcome, Mitch Williams. How are you? I'm very good, Celito. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. You and I have been involved in paying attention to this story for a very long time. So why don't we start uh, uh, with your upbringing? Uh, you were raised in a fundamentalist Christian home, and it's n not typical that someone with that background would embrace this information about the emergence of Maitreya, who is recognized by uh, many, many, many Christians as the Christ has been recognized based on the appearances he's made around the world. But we'll get to that story. Let's start with you and your sure. upbringing. Well, uh, my the church that I grew up in when I was young uh, was uh, a very fundamentalist, dogmatic uh, kind of a church, uh, kind of an offshoot of Southern Baptist. Uh, and they had a very, very strict uh, literalist interpretation of the Bible. Um, and uh, basically believed they, they were the only ones that had the, the, the accurate information. Uh, I, I know my, my mom would uh, spend time picking apart even, you know, Catholicism and uh, other, other branches of Christianity, um, not to mention, you know, non-Christian religions. So they were very, very narrow in their interpretation of, of things and uh, somewhat... Uh, uh, what I say, I guess, coercive with uh, people that uh, certainly in my family, you know, there was a lot of pressure to accept these ideas and beliefs and to, to embrace them. Um, and I found that very uncomfortable from a very early age. What, uh, what was the, the uh, with this discomfort, how did that prompt you? What were the questions that started to come to mind when you were young? Well, I'm not even sure that at that age that there were, were conscious questions that I had. 
so much as just uh, an aversion to this uh, uh, manipulative coercion. It was kind of an emotional coercion to, you know, you, you have to do this or you're going to go to hell. And there was a lot of guilt surrounding it and fear and uh, things like that. It, you know, it's not something I probably could have put into words at the time, but it was extremely uncomfortable. And, you know, I started coming up with reasons, excuses to not go to church and not be involved with this uh, at, at a re uh, fairly early age uh, and started uh, separating myself from that. Um, I, I, I resonated with a lot of the ideas and I, and I actually believed the core of what, what the religion had to offer, which is that God is love and that we find salvation through faith. And uh, things like that, and and I, I always believed that that was true, um, but you know this this oppressive, fear-based kind of an atmosphere was was very difficult for me, and and uh, so you know I, I I felt that strongly, and I, I started moving away from it, uh, and then as I got older, I, I found ways to kind of uh, uh, make a bridge between. Um, you know, the heart of what felt real for me in, in the, that religious uh, upbringing and, you know, other ways of looking at it, a more broad-minded approach, I guess you might say. Explain what you mean, salvation through faith. Well, according to uh, our particular branch of uh, fundamentalism, uh, their uh, take on that was that you had to become saved. You had to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And basically, this was a choice you made at some point to embrace that. And um, uh, once you were saved, then you were going to heaven. Everybody was sa that is saved goes to heaven. Everybody else goes to hell. <laughs> End of the story. That's all there is. Um, but, you know, as I, as I got a little older, I started... Uh, looking at that a little more broad-mindedly, you know, in my teen years, uh, I, I was involved in judo and, and was introduced to Eastern philosophies. And, and I had this really innate sense that, you know, some of these uh, Eastern uh, religions and, and holy people like the, the Tibetan Buddhists and, and others, uh, I just felt that they, they were innately spiritual in, in their approach. And so I had a really hard time, uh, you know, uh, making the bridge between what I'd been taught was that, you know, Jesus is the only way and you have to, to be saved. And my, my intuitive feelings that these other perspectives were valid as well. And I, you know, I guess the, the realization that I finally came to was that, you know, even if, even if Jesus did set up this particular relationship between God and man so that we could accept it when we wanted to, um, I don't think that, that we have to uh, necessarily have even have heard of Jesus before in order to accept that. It's simply a choice that we make to have uh, faith in, in a higher power, if you will. And in fact, that was what happened to me. After I'd uh, kind of been away from the religion for a while and struggled with this idea of being saved, um, you know, for years, I wanted to be saved and I wanted to accept this. And there was just something that didn't fall through. I, I didn't get there. I'd been told that there were these experiences that you would have. Some people experience the, like an experience of light and love. And uh, finally, uh, when I was uh, in my late teens, I came across this Bible tract. And it said, you know, to be saved, 
you may or may not feel anything. The only thing is that you, you make a commitment to having faith in God. And that clicked all of a sudden, and I realized, well, I've already done that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. as soon as I realized that, I did have one of these mystical experiences where I was overwhelmed with light, and I, I felt this loving connection with everyone and everything. And it was my first mystical experience, and in a way, it was my graduation out of fundamentalist Christianity because um, I, I soon discovered that uh, most all religions describe these kinds of experiences of love and light and mystical type experiences. So um, that idea of salvation through faith is is anything that you connect to that's bigger than yourself. It is a, a higher power, if you will. Did you have... Did you come into conflict with your family as you were moving away from uh, from the church? Well, uh, my mom was the most controlling about it and the most involved with it. And, uh, you know, she she had this kind of dogmatic perspective that, you know, you're you're just going astray. Uh, But, you know, we didn't really talk about it that much. And uh, I would just avoid the subject and. For the most part, I avoided the whole topic of religion for many years. And uh, what ended up happening was that I I connected to other lines of thinking that I found to be innately spiritual. Um, For for example, uh, I I discovered, I I realized that uh, when I was in my teen years, that any artistic pursuit that I I really involved myself in or or any... uh, skill that was uh, multifaceted, that, that took time to uh, aspire to, to, to discipline yourself to, that these things had an innately spiritual aspect to them. So these experiences for me were, were, were spiritual in nature. And, and I connected that with my early experiences with religion uh, and realized that this is all part of the same picture. Uh, Mitch, you were talking about a mystical experience in the first segment. Would you like to share uh, how that came about and what happened? Yeah, um, I was, uh, well, my my first experience of that type was, like I said, uh, when I realized that, uh, you know, it, it didn't necessarily have to be about an experience. It was about the choice, the the um, decision to, to have a sense of faith, uh, as I said, salvation through faith. And just in that realization, I had one of those experiences where um, it, um, it was almost like I could see and feel light. And it was uh, similar to uh, some of the experiences that I had uh, when I would attend one of Benjamin Krem's talks, and uh, he would be overshadowed by Maitreya. Uh, and Benjamin Krem is, just for our, our, our new people in the audience, Benjamin Krem is the source of all the information that we share. He's the author of a, nearly a dozen and a half books on the subject of the emergence of Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom. Uh, for several decades, he toured throughout the world sharing this message of hope, and uh, he recently passed on in December. We had a special tribute show uh, for Mr. Benjamin Cram, and I encourage our audience to listen to that show for some uh, wonderful insights into who uh, Mr. Krem was. Uh, but in the meantime, people can visit share-international.org to find 
just a whole plethora of information on this story. So I'll bring it back to you, Mitch, uh, on your experience. You had attended one of Benjamin Krem's lectures. Yeah, I, I've attended. I had attended several of his lectures and uh, experienced this energy that came through uh, during the overshadowing process, where Maitreya was overshadowing Mr. Krem. And the overshadowing for our audience. Sorry to jump in here, but we don't. <laughs> we we want to make sure we don't want to lose our audience. Uh, an overshadowing blessing is merely uh, uh, the energy of Maitreya. Uh, poured through Mr. Krem at these events for the benefit of the audience. Uh, it's a blessing energy. It's a healing energy. And um, that's what the term overshadowing means. One can also look that up uh, at the share-international.org to get a fuller explanation on that uh, uh, process and, and what it means for humanity. Well, of course, there are many different levels of over overshadowing, too, uh, anywhere from just energy passing through a disciple to actually uh, working through the consciousness of a, of a disciple. Uh, and, of course, part of this information is, is about uh, the, the idea that Maitreya the Christ overshadowed his disciple Jesus 2,000 years ago in Palestine. And it was his consciousness that was teaching through Jesus his, uh, you know, great awareness. Uh, and, and, you know, that's one of the connections that I made with, with the idea of Christianity in general, with mm -hmm. the esoteric mm -hmm. story uh, about Maitreya. And in, as in a, the, the, an understanding, a basic understanding of what esotericism is, is really the, the recognition of and the study of energies, a whole great diversity and complexity of energies that underlies all the happenings in the world and uh, informs the relationships between the human kingdom and the spiritual kingdom and all kingdoms on the planet. Um, so we, as we talk about this, we are talking about these great, great energies that are affecting all of us on the planet today. So in a, in a sense, um, you know, the, the great masters are, are uh, distributing these energies. Um, sometimes they do overshadow humanity with those energies. Those are special events. But let's get back to your, your experience. Sure. Um, you know, I, once I had kind of made that break and, and realized that uh, the core idea was about uh, faith and things like creativity, uh, in my uh, teenage years, uh, because of my involvement in, in judo and uh, also as a performer, um, I was introduced to a lot of the self-help literature and uh, popular psychology and uh, anything to do with creativity or peak performance were things that I was really uh, interested in and, and human relations and things like that. And, and I started discovering that, uh, you know, these ideas were, were also in, innately spiritual ideas, uh, that, you know, anything that resonated had this spiritual uh, element to it. And uh, at that point, I began to realize that, that the laws that I'd been taught in the Bible uh, I come, came to think of them not as laws in the sense that, okay, you can't break the law or you're going to be punished, but more in terms of a law of nature. 
So, uh, you know, if you if you follow the law, if you act according to this particular law, you'll get the best results in life. You know, it's like the law of gravity. If if you if you work in harmony with the law of gravity, you can you can dance and you can do backflips and all kinds of things. If if you try to work work in in uh, con, con, conflicting ways with the law of gravity, you'll fall down and skin your knees. So. Uh, I realized that, uh, you know, that was what the meaning of a lot of these ideas in the Bible were really about. Working along, working with the laws of life rather than uh, working against them. Yes, exactly. And speaking of laws of life, there is a book by Mr. Benjamin Kramer entitled The Laws of Life that goes in in depth uh, into the the various laws, the, the the major law is the law of cause and effect. Um, as you sow, so shall you reap. And uh, even even to begin to understand that law, if if uh, many people lived along the 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 law of cause and effect, there'd be far less conflict in the world. Would you think? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I I think uh, you know even the Ten Commandments and and the other so-called laws in the Bible are are really have a lot to do with the law of cause and effect of sowing and reaping, in, in that whatever you put out, that's what you'll get back. And of course, this is this is uh, something that's common to almost all religions. In the East, it's called the law of karma. Uh, it's it's just that uh, there is a, a a, a result from all of our thoughts and actions. And uh, for me, the, the Bible began to take on even more meaning than, than what it had had when I, was, when I was younger because I began to understand these in that particular way. In a different light. Um, yeah. You are a magician by profession. Talk yes. about uh, your understanding of your craft your creativity and how that dovetails with your um, understanding of the different religious traditions and the understanding of uh, the esoteric information about Maitreya, the world teacher and the masters of wisdom. Where do you see connections? Well, um, I've been involved in magic for literally as long as I can remember. I was always fascinated with magic. And for me, there were a couple of things that really resonated with me about magic. Uh, and one is that uh, I've always had an, this innate need to figure things out. I want to know how things are done. I want to know how it all works. And that was certainly uh, one of the things that appealed to me about esotericism uh, was that it, it really gave me a, a structure of, of how things work that made sense to me, that felt true at an intuitive level. And so, you know, magic kind of represents that uh, for me on the one hand. And the other aspect of magic is that it's about this experience of wonder. Um, mm. And wonder is, again, another spiritual experience. You know, when we are in wonder, uh, it takes us to another place in, in our consciousness. Uh, Einstein said that uh, the most beautiful thing we, we can experience is the mysterious. He said that it was a source of all true art and science. So this sense of mystery and wonder uh, I think are, are very, very powerful, powerful experiences. And, 
You know, one of the other areas I began to study was psychology. I, I discovered that uh, Abraham Maslow, who was a, an American psychologist, studied people who had reached their highest potential in life, people that he called self-actualized. And one of the things they had in common, would they would have these experiences that he called peak experiences. And it's, it's when, for a moment, everything changes. You know, athletes mm. call this being in the zone. But I also connected to that sense of wonder, uh, that, that epiphany when something happens and everything is different for a moment. And that, to me, is, an, is the essence of the spiritual experience. One, it, can wonder happen in the space of skepticism? Or is I wonder connected to faith? Or hope? I, I think they're definitely connected, uh, but, uh, you know, I think you can have wonder even in the face of skepticism. Uh, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Uh, a healthy skepticism helps you to dig a little deeper into how things work. Uh, that's the scientific approach, is uh, being able to, you know, look at an idea and, and not only, you know, Ask yourself, does it make sense? Is it logical? Is it rational? But also, does it feel right? You know, scientists will tell you that when they're, when they're trying to come up with a new discovery, they're uh, trying to make breakthroughs, oftentimes it is those total abstract experiences that, that take them to the right place. You know, when it has the, the right feel to an idea, even a mathematical principle, uh, these are things that uh, have this intuitive sense of, of wonder and rightness about them. Um, so, yeah, e even when you're skeptical, I think you can take this analytical approach and still come to that place of wonder. Uh, but obviously, faith plays into that, too. And uh, being open to new experiences and, and having faith in that sense uh, is one of the doorways into wonder. I'm Cialito Pasquale in Seattle, and Mitch Williams, you are in Illinois. What what town are you in? I'm in Canton, Illinois. It's uh, Canton, in central Illinois. Illinois. And uh, it's a little warmer today, you say, <laughs> in the 20s. <laughs> yes, but that's all relative because it's still very it, cold here. It's all relative. So uh, let's talk about how you first heard about... Maitreya, the world teacher and the masters of wisdom. At this point, you have studied, studied Eastern teachings. You've been um, studying about uh, psychology, different aspects. So you're pretty well read um, and your inquisitive mind keeps going. How did you first hear about the reappearance story? Well, uh, to kind of continue on from, from uh, my, my studies on uh, psychology, uh, you know, a lot of the self-help information has uh, different sources of information. And uh, one of them that I came across was uh, a work called A Course in Miracles. Uh, it's, a, it's a spiritual uh, self-study course uh, that is quite profound. It's, it's really amazing uh, work. And uh, when I, after I moved out to Los Angeles, uh, shortly after that, uh, I, I discovered A Course in Miracles, and, and I just dove in head first. And this was really my first taste of, of truly esoteric information. Um, and it kind of opened the door to other things. But, you know, one of the questions that I had after studying A Course in Miracles and, and uh, beginning to dive into it 
uh, one of the main principles is that uh, we're all on this path back to self-realization, to God-realization. Uh, and of course, that's that's one of the, the main things that Maitreya is here to do, is to teach the art of self-realization. Um, but, you know, it, it said that, uh, you know, we're, we're all going that way, and this, this information seemed uh, completely enlightened to me. So I wondered if there were other people uh, that had attained these levels of enlightenment, other than the, the ones we know about, uh, you know, the Christ and the Buddha and, and others. Uh, and so I was exploring that and uh, would often go to the Bodhi Tree bookstore in Los Angeles. And they had videos that they would rent. And one of the videos that I rented was uh, an interview with Benjamin Cram. And uh, he was talking about uh, the Christ and the Masters of Wisdom, that they are uh, a great hierarchy of human beings that have advanced beyond the purely human perspective. They've completed their, their journey on our planet uh, in terms of uh, incarnations and have, have gone as far as they need to go. And some of them have elected to stay here and serve the rest of humanity. And uh, this uh, resonated with me as true. And, I'll jump uh, in here, and you sure. use the term Christ. We've uh, used that term a couple times, and um, I want our audience to know that when we use the term Christ in relationship to Maitreya, it is not the Christian, traditional Christian understanding of Christ, but it's the esoteric understanding of Christ. And so the term Christ is not a name, it is actually a position. Uh, in the same way we understand the term president is a position. And exactly. So, and, you know, if you go back mm -hmm. to the, the original language of the Bible, uh, the Greek word Christ Christos, uh, it, it means Messiah. So it is a position, even in biblical terms, if you go back to the roots of it. Uh, Christ mm. is not a name. <laughs> it is a, a position that is held uh, by a person. It's, it also represents a, a level of consciousness, you know, the, the second aspect of divinity. Uh, of the Holy Trinity in Christian terms. I like to think of the position um, is, as the, the seat of for the eldest brother of humanity. That's often how I like to think of Maitreya. Um, but the, the position of the Christ is the one who sits at the head of the group known as the Masters of Wisdom. And the Masters of Wisdom are great beings who have evolved out of the human kingdom. They have lived every shade and nuance of human existence, every joy, every sorrow, every tragedy. And so they understand well uh, the human experience and they have evolved to the point of complete harmlessness. And so their experience is truly uh, as guides for humanity, they they have earned their stripes, so to speak, and all of us are on that path to complete harmlessness. Some of us are more advanced than others, uh, but nonetheless, we all embody divinity to which we realize and manifest to a greater degree or lesser degree. Um, and so you heard the story, you watched this video, this interview of, of Benjamin Krem. What 
What made sense to you? What, what struck you the most? What made you think, I'd like to know more about this? Well, uh, everything, really. Uh, it, it answered so many questions for me that I had been uh, looking into and trying to explore. Uh, and, and through Benjamin Krem's work, I was introduced to the, also to the work of Alice A. Bailey, who uh, was also uh, connected to one of the masters and, and uh, released material from the masters uh, over a period of years. And uh, uh, the, you know, everything from the political perspective to the spiritual perspective to, you know, our place in the world and our place in the universe and what it all means, it, it, it came together in a way that just felt true for me that you know, that innately we are all the same being. You know, A Course in Miracles talks about the sonship, that there is only uh, one uh, son of God, and we are all it, essentially. And mm. uh, we are all sparks of that great energy, that great awareness that is uh, uh, beyond what can really be spoken of uh, and lies behind all of uh, material manifestation of any type. And, you know, all of these ideas just really resonated with me. And, and it, it also helped me to, uh, again, reinterpret my, my original, my Christian foundations in, in a new way. And, uh, you know, I, I continue to, to believe in the validity of the Bible and other scriptures uh, but I, I understand now that they're not meant to be taken literally. That, uh, in fact, that's 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 a kind of a gross misinterpretation of their importance. Uh, it's a materialistic interpretation uh, because you know whatever God is, whatever the truth of God is, whatever the Word of God is, capital letters here, um, they are beyond human comprehension. They're beyond the ability of the human mind to understand. And so any attempt to express them in human terms, such as language, is ultimately false. Because truth with a capital T is, is either whole, it's the whole truth, or it's not true at all. And so uh, if we try to put things into words, which the Bible is uh, an attempt to do so, um, if you take it literally, it's completely false. Uh, but if you understand that this is meant metaphorically, that it's meant not as a literal truth, but as as a way of leading us to an experience of the truth, to experience our mm. our own innate divinity, then it really has meaning. And all of these symbols have meaning. And all of these laws have meaning. Uh, and it begins to make sense. It sounds like you're describing uh, the Bible as not, uh, not not the final destination, but the guidebook, so to speak, <laughs> of, yeah, of the journey. Um, Eckhart Tolle calls, calls them signposts. Um, and A Course in Miracles uh, says something along the lines of, uh, well, it says a universal theology is important, or is, is impossible, rather. A universal theology is impossible, but a universal experience is not only possible, but necessary. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the symbols are that get us to that experience, so long as we get there. <laughs> and that's, mm. that's what wonder is about. That's what uh, all of this journey is about, you know. And, and if the symbols get you to that experience, then use them 
And if you don't resonate with them, then find others that do. And for me, that's the bottom line. And we, humanity spends a lot of energy arguing over those symbols. Yes. Uh, and those symbols are just, they're just signposts. You can't yeah, argue no, over the shade of red of the stop sign <laughs> or the yes. shade of green of the green light. Well, if you begin to t- interpret them in, in symbolic metaphorical ways, you see that they're not at all in contradiction to each other. Mm-hmm. One, of the, uh, one of the analogies I like to use is that we're on this big wagon wheel. You imagine a wagon wheel with all these spokes that, that all lead back to the hub, the center. And um, the center you can think of as God or truth, capital T, truth, or the universe, or you know whatever you want to call it, the ultimate reality. We are all on our own individual spoke that's leading back to this center core of truth. And the further you are out on your own individual spoke, the further away all of the other spokes appear to be. And the closer you get to the center, the closer all of the other spokes appear to be. That's a great illustration. You know, we have, those of us who are not Christian fundamentalists, um, we have certain perceptions uh, of of what that means and the, 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 you know, the perspectives that come from uh, fundamentalists. What would you say is the biggest misunderstanding that people have of uh, fundamentalist Christians? Um, well, I think I think fundamentalists uh, create a wall between themselves and everyone else because they think they have the only right answer. So it's this dogmatism that that tends to build those walls. But uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that the heart of it is a, uh, a, a framework of morality uh, that's based on the idea of love. I mean, no one would argue, or at least no one within Christianity, I don't think, would argue that, that Jesus' message was all about love. And, you know, those are things that we can all connect with. So uh, one of the things that uh, struck me that Benjamin Krim once said was that he said that people that are in these really restrictive fundamentalist religions are, are drawn to them because... Uh, it allows them to be less destructive uh, in the world than they would be otherwise. So in this final segment um, with Mitch Williams, uh, performer, magician, author, um, I wanted to ask you, Mitch, mm, you, you talk a lot about bridging the gap. It sounds clearly you are evolving in your awareness What's something, what's a belief that you held, let's say, 20 years ago that in your growth you have um, adjusted that belief or you have, are seeing the world differently today? Is there something you can describe along those lines? Well, I don't know. I don't know that I could clearly say that I have a different belief about one thing or another so much as just about different experiences, uh, mostly to do with uh, getting to, to better places of detachment from my own personal issues. You know, we all have our own emotional, psychological baggage that we carry with around with us that limit us. And 
um, that you know keep us separate from our authentic self. Um, and probably that's that's the the main thing is to, I I think I've become more accepting with both of my own foibles as as well as the foibles of others and and more accepting of of you know the uh, apparently negative experiences that that come my way and that uh, also come our way uh, in the world around us. You know, I, this this uh, past uh, election season was was a contentious one. And, uh, a lot of people were very, very upset on on both sides uh, of the debate, um, and uh, you know it's it's in it's in letting go of those uh, the resistance to all of that that we can connect once again, and I think that that sense of unity is is more to the point. It's uh, finding the way to see ourselves uh, as as not in in opposition to one another. As we get closer to that that hub on the wagon wheel, we get closer to the other perspectives, and we understand and can validate uh, validate and uh, uh, honor other perspectives that might be uh, contrasting to our own. Well, certainly, understanding the principle of unity, which is one of the uh, fundamental laws of life, uh, that, that we are so. I'll speak for myself, it is a challenge because I've been, con my mind has been conditioned in so many ways from uh, what I see in the media or how, you know, how I grew up and what I was taught in school, um, the actual structure of our lives to um, generate income, to main maintain a um, uh, a, a sane life. Uh, there are so many structures that would divide us in order to accomplish what we think we need to do in our lives. Um, that it's it's a big challenge to to really recognize we are all, as you said, you know, we are the son of God. Humanity is the son of God, and that we're all interconnected we are literally one all of that brings to mind you know another thing that really resonated with me about uh, the information about my trade and the masters and, and the point that we're at historically is that we're about we're at one of those turning points where uh, we need to leave behind the past and that means building new structures economic structures and and uh, political structures and uh, even even religious and spiritual structures and historically, uh, I, I think we're at this great turning point. And uh, for me, the information about the emergence of Maitreya back into the world um, is all about that. And it's about understanding that this next turn of the spiral uh, means that we're going to build new structures that are completely different than anything that we've imagined before, but that resonate more closely with our innate divinity and with our, our sense of unity our oneness and, and brotherhood. And Maitreya's work and the work of the Masters of Wisdom is to reawaken that divinity within us, within us so that we begin to recognize uh, those fundamental laws of life that uh, um, have not been acknowledged by our political and economic systems and therefore have resulted in all the grave challenges we're facing 
from environmental challenges all the way to you know the the, the vast disparity of, of wealth in the world and uh, you know the existence of hunger that could easily be abolished so there's many 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 aspects it's, it's it'll be a big challenge to to solve the many challenges in the world but we're not alone as humanity and, and Maitreya and the masters are emerging into full public life to help us and the signs are around us uh, we have six more minutes and I want to ask you you know you the purpose of this show and anyone who's sharing the information about Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom, sharing it from a, a point of conviction, we, we do this in order to share a message of hope. Um, talk about what that experience has been like for you, sharing this story, the different ways you interact with the public, whether directly talking about Maitreya or through your art or through your performances. How, how does all of this knowledge manifest? Um, well, in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, I, I do give talks on uh, the reappearance of Maitreya uh, occasionally. Uh, I also play a supportive role for other people that are, that are uh, working to get this information out to the public. Uh, and of course, uh, that sense of expectancy and hope that uh, we're uh, trying to achieve is, is part of what uh, allows Maitreya to step forward because uh, it's uh, that sense of, of hope is, is what needs to happen for us to be able to, to accept what he has to offer. And uh, so, uh, you know, Anytime I can do, in the Alice Bailey materials, there's a quote that I really love. It says that uh, you, you need to do what you can to prepare the hearts and minds of, of men for the great event of, of Maitreya's coming. And, uh, you know, that can be anything from, from sharing the news about the, the reality of Maitreya and the Masters to simply helping people to have more hope, you know, uh, sharing the idea that we're, we're all in this together and we really can solve these uh, divisive problems in a way that is good for everyone. Uh, and it's also about sharing some wonder, you know, even as an entertainer, uh, I try to share share that experience of, of joy and wonder and that childlike sense of, of uh, wow, uh, where you just connect with something for a moment. Uh, and I think those experiences also help to to open our minds a little bit and to reach beyond that place where we're, we're stuck in divisiveness and uh, hopelessness and things like that. Um, so all of those things are, are very, very important, you know. And I, I always like to allow people, when I am talking about uh, Maitreya and the Masters, I always like to allow people to, to make their own assessment. You know, I, I tell people, very much like Benjamin Krem said, that... Uh, you know, if, if this resonates as, as true for you, then explore it. Look more deeply into the information uh, and, and see if, if you think it's true or not. Um, because we, we really need to come to it with, with an open mind and, and allow people to make their own decisions. Uh, you know, that was the main thing that I uh, was uh, felt repressed by uh, in the, the more dogmatic uh, fundamentalist Christian uh, upbringing that I had was that sense of oppression. 
Uh, and that is the exact opposite of everything I understand as a spiritual experience. Uh, freedom of choice and, and uh, is, is uh, I think, a d something divine. So you have to allow people the ability to make their own decisions. And uh, that's part of the process of coming back to who we truly are, to our authentic self as divine beings. You know, I love the picture you painted there for a moment of being a performer, and I'm thinking of the audience in uh, your audience in a space of wonder, that nanosecond or moment where everyone, no matter who they are or where they're from or what their experience is, you know, that gasp of, oh my goodness, like, what is that? And, um, you know, we can all connect to that experience of delight and joy. Um, Mitch, thank you so much for bringing your experience to this show, and well, uh, we'd love me. to have you back for more. You're very yeah, welcome. It's been a real pleasure. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. Visit us on Facebook at hashtag Planetary Makeover. This show has been a production of planetarymakeover.org. At our website, we have a link to our bi-weekly live show at 5 p.m. Mondays Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. At our website, we also have a link to our archives and a selection of our shows. For more background info, visit www.shareinternationalwest.org. That's shareinternational-west.org. For related books in DVDs and CDs by Benjamin Krem on the emergence of Maitreya, the world teacher, please go to share-ecart.com. That's share-ecart.com. We also invite you to watch another show that we really love, entitled What in the World is Happening? And that show, which you don't want to miss, is produced by Share International Canada. And it airs every second and fourth Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The link to check it out is share-international.ca or visit the Share International Canada Facebook page.